Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to part two of our season review. Yes, I know the season's been over for some time, but we are being leisurely. We're taking our time. There is no rush. Last week, we were massively ambitious, thinking we'd get through half the grid, and we barely got through three teams. So this week, we're aiming for three teams to review and may God have mercy on our bandwidth. This week, we tackle the runners-up Mercedes, and we're going to tackle the team who were probably the most media present over the season. They had their eyes on the top three. We're going to zone in on Aston Martin, and we'll also talk about the blur of disappointment that is Haas F1. But let me tell you first, we are, because of you, an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Joining me in the shed playing the role of Matt Trumpets is Chris Stevens. Hello, Chris. Hello, Spanners. Yes, a British Matt Trumpets for this weekend. A yeah. terrifying prospect. Yeah, an all-British panel for the first time in ages. Yeah, we'll we'll show those Americans how dare they come in with a passionate love of our sport and vastly increase the audience and grow our community. I mean, frankly, they shouldn't have more than one race. I mean, it, that's just being greedy. There's loads of them, I think. I, do you know what? It's quite, we do need to pander to the American market. I think they should have eight races, Chris. I, yeah, can I just say, that was a joke. <laughs> right, yeah. Anybody, any doubt out there, that was a joke. Okay, because when I'm looking at the, the calendar next May and looking at an American Missed Apex karting event, it's actually quite hard to pin down on our listenership. Yes, there's lots of Americans, but they're so spread out. Why can't they all agree and just live in one bit instead of spreading out all over the place? There needs to be more like Canada, where 
like a hundred percent of the population only live in like ten yeah. percent of the landmass. Yeah. So if you could sort that America, but if you want a little bit of a teaser, think Miami area and time, and uh, think about whether you want to come go karting with us. We're also joined by Antonia Rankin. Hello, Antonia. Hi. Yeah, I can't figure out whether all this winter break nonsense is a blessing or a curse because, of course, it's given me time to meet up with my friends enjoy my hobbies but i've realized i don't really want any new friends and i don't really want any new hobbies yeah wait till you get to like 43 and you've probably got about two friends and that's enough and if anyone comes in even remotely suggesting that they make plans you have to have a robust system of of avoiding plans so uh, you're too young right now but I, i will teach you how to avoid ever making a plan whilst looking reasonably social I'll bear that in mind because you're like, what, 10 years into that phase now since you were 43. So, you know, you must be in pretty good, pretty good exercise. of that. Don't give away my real age. I only go by my media age of 34, which is roughly the age of our next panellist, Scott Stuffy Tuffy. How's it going, Scott? Do you know what? I used to like you until you just assumed my age. How dare you? Well, I was going to say this is quite a young, dynamic crew, but you're, like, you're well over 30. So you're letting the rest of us down. I'm 32, and yes, for those who have the pleasure of watching this stream live, I know I don't look it, guys. I know. Um, yeah, so looking forward to reviewing these uh, teams for what has been a very, very long season. It certainly has felt that way. Let's make sure that our race review only isn't long, but only goes our traditional 60 minutes. We've never yet exceeded an hour, and that's something to be proud of. So we are going to start with Haas. Now, this was the hardest one to to actually research and look into, Chris, because when you said to me, like, oh, Haas for 2023, nothing really leaped into my head. Like maybe mm. the odd qualifying performance from Nico Hulkenberg, but that's about it. Yeah, that's the thing. When you think of what's Haas done this year, the things that come to mind are Magnussen's crash in Mexico. That's about it. For me, right. anyway. Just yeah, off yeah. the top of my head. So am I being um, unkind? Because some of our other panellists no. might have spent the whole season like cheering Haas on. Have you been watching them like a hawk, Scott? Vividly. Absolutely <laughs> vividly. Um, I was actually... It, not excited, but I was looking forward to seeing how Hulkenberg would get on uh, coming back into the team. And to be fair, I thought it was... Actually, I'm going to take that back. I, I was kind of um, a little bit negative on him coming back. I thought, oh, maybe they should have gone for someone who's a little bit younger. We've got some good up-and-coming drivers. Yeah. But then I quickly flipped on that because he started putting in some great performances in qualifying. But then that's kind of as big a the amount of praise that I could give them this year because when it came to the race, they just always fell back uh, down the grid to kind of where they belonged. Wow. Uh, yeah. Do you know what? You're not far off the mark there. And I, I do agree with your, your change of heart uh, about Hulkenberg because they tried the young driver route, didn't they, with Nikita and with Mick whoa, and whoa, with a few other drivers. They tried the pay uh, driver route. Okay, fine. They tried that, but even Mick wasn't delivering the goods. Wait, wait, wait hang on, hang on. Whoa. What do you mean, even Mick? Well, Mick wasn't a pay driver, was he? Oh, God. He was an F2 champion. Surely we're not, we're, we're, we're not classing Schumacher as, as, a, as a... Okay, well, maybe he didn't come in with like a bundle of cash, but Schumacher's there because he's Schumacher. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Oh, okay. But he, 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 as, as, as much as I think he didn't get a fair shot of it at Haas, the, the fact that uh, Magnussen came in and kind of wiped the floor with him does mm. kind of prove that 
going down the young driver route didn't work for them. That's why they leaned on experience and partnered Hulkenberg with Magnussen. And when you think about the fact that Magnussen wiped the floor with Mick, Hulkenberg came out the blocks swinging. And I I lost interest in the battle about further way through the season, but it always seemed to be Hulkenberg more often than not ahead of, of Magnussen. Um, even though I think Magnussen maybe got the bigger result in the end, maybe like uh, a ninth place instead of uh, just a tenth. Um, uh, well, whereas... Hulkenberg got seventh in Australia. I think that was their biggest result of the season. I don't think Australia really counts right. as, a, oh, yes. as a good of barometer course, because of Because there, there was eight red flags, wasn't there? Yeah. Antonio, I know you wanted to come in on the... Cause I, I sort of want to argue with Chris a little bit more about the Haas tried the young driver route. Yeah, there's a lot to pick apart with Haas. And by that, I mean nothing at all. If we continue to spend too much time talking about Haas, I fear our dear listeners will fall asleep because that's how their season has gone. It's been completely unremarkable. Not much to talk about. Little to analyse. They've got two fantastic drivers who have proven themselves multiple multiple times for a long time in F1. On the young driver route, did they give Schumacher a fair chance? No, but they were running out of money. They needed to bring in the old faithfuls. I'm going to summarise this whole has talk very quickly for our dear listeners. (laughs) So yeah, no, they didn't try the young driver route fairly. Could have given Schumacher more time. That's the summary of that. In terms of their season, they're, they're a bang average team who put in a slightly better than last year performance. I don't know if there's much to analyze there. You know, they're at the bottom of the grid most of the time. They'll occasionally have a good quality performance. And as Chris said, during the race, their race pace will let them down. They'll slip down lower in the grid to, yeah, where they belong or where they naturally would sit given their pace. So yeah, they've had a pretty unremarkable season, but so far from what we've seen, they've been a pretty unremarkable team. I totally agree with Antonia. And I'd just like to add that, there was kind of after seeing the Drive to Survive series the previous season, it was really astonishing to see how Gunther Steiner's lack of man management was on Mick Schumacher. And I think he was totally unfairly treated, uh, Mick Schumacher, during that mm. full year. Um, obviously, the, with Nikita Mazepin, you can kind of write that off because their car was absolutely horrendous. And do you know what? It's kind of a... a a sweetness to them having such a poor performance this year. And Gunther Steiner has been a big, big, um, what's what's the right word? He's been massively against Andretti or an 11th team yeah. joining yeah, yeah. F1. And I feel like he's like, oh, they need to bring value. Like what value are they going to bring? And I, I've said this a number of times throughout the year. Welcome for Steiner. I put it back to you. What value do you bring and mm. Haas bring to this grid? Because you finished last, you have the odd qualifying performance and then you just drop further down the grid, cause some crashes, and that's about it. Antonia, then I know Chris is is queued up, ready like a coiled spring. But that's the thing, though. Like, uh, and I genuinely have nothing against Haas. I'd love to see them do well because I... As you guys will know, I love an underdog. It's so great to see teams performing well when they have historically been at the back of the grid. And especially when you see kind of the behind the scenes that a, a documentary like Drive to Survive offers, or a documentary is a bit of a loose term for such a sensationalised series, but I digress. You want them to do well. You do. Gunter Steiner is such a likeable guy. The drivers are trialed and tested F1 people who have been in the sport for a long time and I wanted them to do well I don't want that to be miscommunicated I do like them as a team but we're expecting a horse jump show and dressage out of a Shetland pony wow that is a reference that I that we can all relate to 
yeah, that my childhood was filled <laughs> with uh, with dressage, Chris. So, okay, if, we, if we're done just beating Haas with a stick... Nope, not quite. ...for a, for a while. We'll, I'd, we'll I'd get, like back, to to, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to beating you with a stick. Okay, fine. But I'd like to add some context to this because we know for years they've had issues with tyre management. This is something that has persisted. They have had correlation issues with their upgrades. They don't have the resources to bring that many upgrades to the car in the first place. And so when they did bring some and they actually made the car worse then you've thrown away six months of good work there and you're basically back at square one the dynamic of the team has changed a lot in the last couple of years since a the new regulations and b the cost cap was introduced because before the cost cap gene haas wasn't putting any more money into that team for two or three years and they were basically on a development freeze uh, at that point hence why they were so far down the order during those years. But um, we, we all know they have a, a very close relationship with Delara, who basically design and build their car, and then the team in Banbury runs it. But that has shifted somewhat to be more of a relationship with Ferrari. While Delara still plays their role, the actual makeup of the team is now uh, more former Ferrari engineers right. who have had to be moved on from Ferrari as a result of the cost cap because they couldn't retain the same number of staff, so they gave them to, okay. to Haas. So in theory, that's, um, that's good for F1, if the bigger the, teams are yes. having to spread out that talent. That's the thing. The makeup is is there. Delara are not slouches. They make chassis for almost every junior single-seater you can think of, and in prototype racing as well. And, um, of course, since the new era of uh, sports car racing started, they're now at the top class of... Uh, sports car racing and endurance racing as well so they they know what they're doing but i think there are there are inherent limitations to just taking parts from ferrari they have a sort of frankenstein car where these bits are just sort of meshed together and i don't think everything kind of molds together very nicely i'm sure summers has done a deeper dive on this than what i'm giving right now <laughs> but i think the other issue they have as well is that they've got too many uh, you know, different locations where things are hap- happening because you've got you've got parts coming out of Marinella, you've got parts coming out of Delara, you've then got the the race team in Banbury as well. You know, th- having to work across all those different things. You know, we we talk about the relationship between manufacturers and customer teams and why it's an advantage yeah. to be a manufacturer because you can mold, say, the power unit and the chassis to, together um, out of one building, but. <laughs> when you're when you're already a customer team and then your chassis is being designed in one place and you've got upgrades coming from another place and I, it, it doesn't seem like yeah. an efficient system uh, just a quick one on you said uh you know they don't have the budget and they don't have the resources in our patron live chat right uh, says uh, when are gene Haas and, and gunter sign are going to get together to drive the team forward uh, from what i can tell Haas do generate a profit and and there are resources in the bigger parent group so it's not like oh well they're they're coming in with absolutely zero resources like they're choosing how much money they put in to a certain extent so it is still like ambition but i think one of the real big problems we're having under the cost cap now problems not for the teams is that they all make money so if they've got a board and there's a certain amount of profit coming in and you go well actually i would like to pour half of that profit into extra development they kind of go well well why where's that going to get you in the the championship like you really have to go right make a big leap up to third to make that prize money worthwhile. 
So you, what you've got is you've got a back end of the grid where they can be profitable, not doing anything. Like I, I could, I could read you through Haas's points total on most weekends. The vast, vast majority of their their weekends have been pointless. You know, you got Australia six points, and then it's, it's just a bunch of zeros with the odd one. It's one of the worst performances from a team in the last sort of twelve years. Antonia, sorry, you were trying to get in, then Scott. Well, that's and that's the exact thing about a team like Haas. They could push and push and push and get what out of it two points it's for them i can understand the the frustration within the team because it's almost a thankless battle however going back to chris's point about them being very disjointed how much can we realistically expect of Haas when the parent team so-called ferrari can't even get themselves together you know they're working with broken parts as it is per se but the thing is with Haas and with every Formula One team, they all have the ingredients for success. You know, the engineers at Haas aren't any less qualified than those at, the, at Mercedes. And, you know, let's give the credit where it's due. All of these people are very intelligent or working on the car. They all know what they're doing. They all know how to build an F1 car. But there's a key thing missing and that will be in the money. But like you said, they can pour money in in a team like Haas and keep pushing and pushing and pushing to gain two points, which mm. in the grand scheme of things isn't going to get the outcome money-wise for if, what they've put in. If they had to fight against relegation, for example, Chris, that would be a, a different story. But they know they're safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's that's very true. Just a, a final point on being a sort of Ferrari B team, as it were, being a B team in, in, in general. It is a knife edge because when Haas first came in, they were a great midfield team they were coming out of the blocks really really well to the point where the other teams complained about their team model about the fact that they were a ferrari b team and they said this is not fair on the other midfield teams and we want to change the regulations about it and little things have changed about it in terms of the number of parts that can be shared between teams or can be bought from other teams for example but just to give you the other end of of that as well look at alpha tari this year where red bull has had one of the best Formula One cars ever produced. And AlphaTauri, for the majority of the year, was skulking it at the back end with Haas. Yeah, I just wanted to add on to that, that in regards to the money, maybe that's why their qualifying performances and why they focused on qualifying so much is that they was able to get some airtime for their sponsors. They <laughs> yeah. quite probably recognised earlier on that they had a car that could get into Q3 over a single lap pace, but... When it came to a race distance, similar performance to Ferrari, they struggled with their tire management. Of course, they're not anywhere near as quick as Ferrari as well, because they're not obviously getting that engine. They're not creating that engine. It's coming from Ferrari. So it's kind of secondhand in an essence. And it's able to get them some airtime for their sponsors. And the thing is, I I think there's something, as you say, Spanners, a bit, a bit dodgy maybe with how much is actually being put into the team because there was a lot of talk that when MoneyGram came in as a title sponsor or the main sponsor for the car, that was going to allow them to operate at the top of the cost cap. But I think what we're seeing in this cost cap era now, and it's very pertinent with Mercedes, is that if teams are very quickly realising that they have made an error in the direction of their development or their concept. Oh, yes. They kind of have to go back to the drawing board and write the season off. They have to make that conscious decision of, do we continue down this development path and stick to it and stick to our guns? Or do we go back to the drawing board and just 
start working on next season and use this season as another test year. For Haas, that's really bad for them because they just had that the previous year or that year with Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher. They was hoping they were going to make massive strides in this new ground, fall, uh, ground effect era. And so far, it hasn't worked out for them because their parent company, in an essence, Ferrari, has also struggled. Well, exactly. I actually specifically remember a few years ago asking my dad, like, you know, there's some teams that just go out all weekend. They get no points, no nothing. It's almost there's no reason for them to be out there. Why do they even bother? Why don't they just save their money? And it's for the sponsor. And of course, in the cost cap era, especially where these teams are so dependent on their sponsorships, that's why we're still seeing them go out and do it because obviously the cars need to have a run out the drivers need to have a run out but it always feels like just taking the dog for a walk for these teams exactly like scott said has have tapped out before they've had a season where they've gone we've completely screwed up this car and we need to go back to the drawing board but it's such a tragedy almost that the teams have to do this that they have no more money left in their allocated money to adapt the car. Yeah, they can't panic spend, can they? But it's such a shame that they can't. You know, they can't go for a Boxing Day, Black Friday, whatever shop because their car is, the car story is not a doubt. And we've seen it with Mercedes with their zero side pods idea. They kind of had to go back to the drawing board and be like, well, what do we actually have the ability to do? Because our first idea hasn't worked out. We need to completely reconceptualize the car. And we don't really have the money to do so. And it's robbing us of potentially really great comeback stories okay so whilst it might seem like we're being quite negative that this is the bottom of the table team at the moment so you know to put that into context last year that was williams williams on eight points Haas this year 12 points and so no one was shy about talking about that being a disaster for williams Haas's season is on the same scale as williams last season and i think our expectations for Haas hadn't quite disappeared at the beginning of this season, Chris. So that they came in with optimism. And like you said, this partnership with Ferrari, this this racing legacy so with, with Gene Haas. And I think that's actually even ruined some of the perception for Andretti coming in. Because everyone looks at Andretti and goes, well, why wouldn't that be another Haas? Yeah, well, there's a number of reasons, spanners. I will give them <laughs> to you in full uh, at some point. Uh, but the trend for Haas, just kind of wrap things up on them, really, is, is that they've started the season quite well especially over the last few years give or take the development freeze era that they had okay well 2021 um, they got zero points in the season so i mean yeah yeah, yeah exactly so just ignore that so, one, ignore, but, so apart from the seasons where they didn't score any points so you want me to ignore the season before that no, where they only got three points Spanners, stop being deliberately facetious okay <laughs> <laughs> in the early stages and then in the last couple of years right. as well they've come out the blocks quite quite well but it's it's the development that they really do struggle with, and if you if you look, they only got overtaken by AlphaTauri in the last sort of couple of races of the season when they they had a big de- development spike. Sure. Um, so, had th- a couple of things gone a different way, we could well be having this conversation about AlphaTauri, for example. Um, so, I I would expect next season that trend to continue uh, a little bit unless they're able to a sort out the the tire. Uh, wear issues B provide good consistent and uh, actually working upgrades to the car I want to know really how long has Gunther Steiner got at Haas 
Because I think you could arguably say now that they've got a experience and a good driver partnership. But if you give them a good car, they'd be able to score points on the regular, maybe even give them a high-performing car, fight for points. But Gunther Steiner, I know people love him as this sweary character because of Drive to Survive. But from what I've seen, he's poor at man management. The team has gone backwards. Him and Gene Haas seem to have this relationship that, I don't know, is more so driving the team into the ground and, and backwards rather than forwards. From a, uh, from a performance perspective, from a business perspective, maybe their books are okay and they're making loads of profit. But I think from a performance perspective, I don't think Haas are going to get any better under Gunther Steiner. And I, how long is he going to last there for? I think this is actually a really interesting conversation to have because I myself, back between different opinions on this. I can't decide whether Gunter Steiner is fantastic or whether he's mm. kind of time to go because he does what has need, which is bring people to support the team. People like Gunter and it makes people want to pay attention to Haas, which ordinarily is like we've all been saying, a bottle of the ta- table, bottom of the table team who no one would really ordinarily pay attention to. And his management yeah. style when he, on a good day is fantastic he motivates the drivers and he supports them however we have also seen the bad side of Gunter, where he lets good drivers slip through the cracks by not supporting them properly and it's exactly what happened with Schumacher where he completely lost faith in himself completely lost his sense of his own ability and he completely just dropped off the edge at the end of his season so I personally don't know whether I like him or dislike him, but on a good day, I do think Gunter Steiner is one of the best team principals in the sport. That's interesting. I'm I'm just going to guess that Scott doesn't agree with that, that sentiment overall. But from a marketing point of view, he's brought way more attention to Haas than they ordinarily would have had. And if if, uh, sponsorship is, is, is a big concern, he's certainly been good in that respect. So yeah, he just needs to come in, you know, drop some F-bombs, uh, throw some stuff around and and the sponsors are probably happy because that has proved a, a massive hit with fans. But uh, when I was looking at the drivers, it, it's really hard to pick those two apart because they've had so little to work with. And it, it, when a team is struggling this much, it, it's so hard to put anything at the at the feet of the drivers. So really, all you can do is point to some results and go, well, well, actually, Hulkenberg has, has come in and I thought Magnussen might make him might might gap him a little bit but that hasn't happened if anything Hulkenberg's looked like the stronger qualifier and he's got he's got the most results obviously that Australia result is is quite a a heavy uh, points thing i think so that gave them something like that's half their total points for the season but it's really hard to pick between them when you go through the race performances they're usually within a couple of places of each other and i think they've kind of been ahead of each other or, or had bad luck or had dnfs as as much as the other there's not a lot you can point to, Antonia, to go, right, this driver's head and shoulders above the other. Yeah, I think they are both, in their own ways, drivers with a lot of merit. And like I've said, both with quite a lot of experience in an F1 car. And generally speaking, driving in all sorts of racing um, com- competitive formats. I mean, Magnussen's got a fair amount of experience in rally cars. He's generally very, very good in the more challenging conditions that separate good drivers from great drivers. I've spoken about this before. Magnussen in the wet is actually a pretty reliable, pretty good driver aside from, I can't remember which race, he had a stinker. But the, both drivers are 
genuinely very good drivers and that's why I think Haas do have a lot of potential to do very well if they have the car there if they sort out their issues with Big the ifs. coherability of the team with the tire degradation I mean mm. I, I don't think coherability is a word but I'm gonna pretend it is okay but I, I think there is so much potential there and both drivers they are so genuinely in it you know they've got their own families going on they don't need to be in F1 right now but they're there because they believe in the team so there must be something we're missing with Haas truly because to bring two dudes who are what mid 40s early 40s what? I'm I'm such a bad judge of age they're like not the youngest on the grid but to bring them away from their families into the sport there must be something that they see in Haas where they think we could have a great career here I think they're both in their mid 30s though i'm not i'm not gonna look it up oh, right guys, now I'm but so yeah sorry. that's that's fine oh, but they're I'm both so... they're both dads Kevin, I'm sorry. <laughs> they're both dads and they're both picking up a paycheck at the end of the day so like either, either of them both of them they probably know at this point in their careers they're not particularly looking up the grid this is probably both their last contracts in formula one so uh, magnuson is just keeps multiplying he's like a rabbit i think he's got eight children now and i think hulkenberg's a dad as well so you know, they're in there with a reasonable paycheck. So uh, I looked up the wages and Hulkenberg's on 2 million a year. So if you look at that, that's like 38 grand a week. That's comparable to like a Premier League centre-back or something like that. Do you know what I mean? He's picking up like a top sporting salary. It's not really affecting his day, whether or not the Haas finish 16th or 17th or even 18th, because he's going to go home with the same paycheck. No one expects anything of them, and neither of them are being judged particularly harshly against their teammate. Any top F1 driver in the top teams, if you put them against Hulkenberg or Magnussen, we would say you have to beat that driver or your reputation is going to take a big hit. So they're both in pretty good positions. Spanners, so I will disagree with that ever so slightly. Even though Hulkenberg and Magnussen, between the two of them, have one podium finish to their names, there will be, I'm sure, and I'm sure this will be true for every team, there will be some sort of performance clause in there where if we finish in this position in the Constructors' Championship, everyone right. gets a bonus. If you score a podium, you know, you will get this reward for it as well. So there is financial impetus for them to push forward. I completely agree. And I think That's we might right. have just kind of struck gold on what Hass's problem is. Is it is the issue that whilst these drivers are experienced, they actually have no drive or reason to be putting it all out there on the track each weekend. They don't need to be pushing for these crazy, or for them at least, seventh positions every weekend because it makes barely any difference to them. It doesn't impact their career particularly. They don't really mind if they don't have a seat next season. Is the issue actually that the Haas drivers themselves aren't necessarily putting everything out there in the same way that, for example, Oscar Piastri might be in that McLaren? I think it's hard for them personally to get motivated when they know that they're in a car that it's just going to always go backwards in the race. Like, it's probably fun for them, uh, seeing how far up the grid they can get in qualifying, because Magnussen had a couple of Q3s, so did Hulkenberg. And for them coming to the race time, it's like, oh, well, let's just see how many positions we're going to lose today. Uh, and then there's a possibility there may be fighting an, an Alpha Tauri or um, a Alpha Romeo for, for no points, because 
points is all that, that matters in the championship because obviously that goes to the prize fund in the end. But I, I, I think there's a lack of, um, yeah, a, a lack of drive probably from that perspective because, yeah, they they need other drivers to to have something go wrong for them to finish in the points. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd hate to be negative and uh, do give us feedback at mistapex.net if you if you want to make the case for Haas and we might address that during the course of the the off-season. But at the moment, you have to say, you're bottom of the table. If you're going to get reviewed poorly and don't want that, then you, you have to move up one or two places. So what constitutes success for Haas? Looking forward, really, you're looking above. You're looking at Williams, who, who look like they're on the up. You're looking at uh, Alpha Tauri, who are going to be uh, Red Bull light. Can't believe it's not Red Bull. So, really, all they're fighting for next season is for ninth place against Sauber, and they might not get that. So it's, they are they they are in a titanic battle for ninth next season. Do you know what? I just final thought on this. We're in a position with Formula One now where we don't have clear backmark teams in the same way we used to have with like Caterham and Mauricio and HRT, right? Where it was once every four years, they might score a point. And it was a miracle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It took remarkable circumstances. We're in an era of Formula One now where someone has to finish 10th and it's maybe not as indicative, uh, you know, towards the team performance as it maybe used to be. Someone has to finish in that 10th, uh, position and you said yourself Spanish they scored more points than Williams did last year when they finished 10th in the championship and you know they were able to bump up themselves a few places on the grid next year so I I, I think that the, there is still hope and potential within that team. So I guess to summarize all of our thoughts on the Haas debacle that has been unfolding very slowly and very boringly over the last few seasons we want you to do well Please just try and be a bit more interesting and we will root for you. We really will. Well, you cannot accuse the next team we're talking about of not being interesting. It has been a massive return to relevance right at the very top for the team that was for a long time Force India and then Racing Point and now Aston Martin started the season as the clear second best car, uh, fell down the grid uh, with uh, with their package, went the wrong way on, on many upgrades and had a lopsided garage performance-wise. So, Aston Martin. do we? Is there such thing as an Aston Martin fan? Are there people cladding themselves in green on an F1 weekend? You, Christopher? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't clad myself in green because uh, I don't clad myself in any particular colour for a Grand Prix weekend. But uh, I do like seeing Aston Martin do well. I really did enjoy the resurgence of that team that was had at the start of this year in particular. I think a lot of people still like that team from the Force India yeah. Racing Point days because they yeah. were the plucky underdogs. They were the pound for pound best team in Formula One. Agree. And they are uh, moving towards a, a, a stage of having resources that can match some of the top teams, right? With all the, all the infrastructure that's being built and the investment that's being put into the team. And when they came out the blocks at the start of this year with the second best car and challenging Mercedes and challenging Ferrari and occasionally giving Red Bull something to think about as well. The way in which they did it as well. I think I think a lot of people liked it to see Fernando Alonso 
working as hard as he did in Bahrain to make passes because he didn't just we talked about it in Formula One now overtaking is just wait press button free overtake right that's not what Fernando did in Bahrain no he did a great one didn't he he tried absolutely everything he was doing classic up and unders changing lines proper actual racecraft and he displayed that again in Brazil as well these are like standout moments from the season right Uh, and these are the ones that people remember and I think that's that's given a, a lot of good attention to uh, to the team. But what, what has been made abundantly clear, though, this season is that um, they they need to focus more on the the mid season development because there was they were curtailed um, a little bit. But even then, some upgrades they did put on didn't quite work. And you how, saw how were they the how the were they curtailed, Chris? With uh, a technical directive, uh, did, I and it was. Did that, that did that affect them? Do you think? I thought, but potentially it might have done. Okay, we'll uh, dig into you know, that in a bit. Because um, well, the there's, lawyers. There's have... like a timing issue there that you have to look at. So. <laughs> the lawyers have just pressed the pause button on that one, but we'll circle back around to it, Scott. I am not an Aston Martin fan per se, but I think it was nice to see a team, while Red Bull were so far ahead of everyone, it was nice to see another team spoil the Apple cart. Or is it join the Apple cart? I can't, I can't remember which, what is the correct saying. But Dance with the Apple cart. They. Is that the one? No. I'm not entirely sure. But see another team join the, the front of the pack because for so long we've seen it be Red Bull, Mercedes, mm-hmm. Ferrari, and Aston Martin, as you said, formerly Force India. With Fernando Alonso, of course, the man who's in his 40s, shouldn't really be racing an F1, a lot of people believe, but he's obviously still tip-top shape, being able to take it to the young guns, um, which was great to see, um, kind of like a blast from the past. I think it's always great to see not necessarily an underdog, but someone else, another team in any sport join the front. And we're not seeing the same old names fight out for podiums hmm. um, week in, week out. But yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't very long lived because of um, that lack of or the lack of performance uh, throughout the middle of the season while the other teams made gains. And I still think. Um, they have something to. I don't think they're going to go go away next year or in the coming years. They've definitely okay. got the backing. Well, um, even if I think Stroll one day leaves, I think that's a, Aston Martin is a synonymous name in um, motorsport and just the motor, the, the car industry as a whole. Yeah. Um, I think it will be very popular to any uh, potential stakeholder. Ranking absolutely. There is a real warmth to Aston Martin just in their presence in F1, obviously being such an established, not only car manufacturer, but they've been as a car itself in F1 a long time. And it's so nice to see them having a relevance and a real presence in the sport. You know, Mm. I think having Fernando Alonso, yes, he absolutely has his skeptics and his people from back in the day who perhaps aren't his biggest fans, but I think he's fantastic. And exactly like you said, he's bringing the fight to the young guns. He absolutely deserves his place in that car. He's not just there as a name. He's not just there as the old F1 world champion who they brought back to be the old faithful. He's fantastic. He's really still got that spark in him and he really genuinely wants to be there. And you can tell when you're watching. And it's so, so nice that they kind of started to bring a bit of a battle to the front of the grid that at that time, at the start of the season, we hadn't seen in so long against Red Bull. 
I think it is a shame that they started to slip down the order a little bit. Yeah, their their performance upgrades just weren't there. They weren't developing the car at the same rate. And it's kind of what you see with a lot of teams. They come in really strong and they slip down the order. But it's really promising. And I really do sincerely hope that in next season and the coming seasons, we do still see them up and fighting because right. having them on the podium was fantastic. It's all really positive so far, which means I've, I've got to be negative. the mean one. Hang on, let's get Scott in first and then we'll, we'll flip the script. Well, I just want to say, yeah, in all the positiveness of, of <laughs> Fernando Alonso and the team kind of joining the front of the pack, it would have been so, so much better if they actually had a proper second driver not in the form of Lance Stroll, because Fernando Alonso this year, even after that car started to struggle with performance, he only failed to make it into two, is it two or three Q3s all year? And Lance Stroll, well, he was get, he was putting it in the barrier, he was not making it out of Q1, while Fernando Alonso was just showing exactly what a proper driver with a half-decent car, even towards the end of the year, can do. Um, And I'm just looking at the finishing table now. They finished 22 points behind McLaren. If they had a second driver um, putting it on the podium uh, when they had that high-performing car at the start of the season, Mm -hmm. they definitely would have finished a lot higher and we'd be speaking even, we'd be speaking very positively about Aston Martin. I'm going to do what I've kind of become a bit infamous for and just absolutely rip this point to shreds. So, um, oh, go, go on. on mute, guys, if you don't want to hear this. Yep, yep. I firmly, firmly believe that he's had his time now, Lance Stroll. I do not want to hear any more comments about, but he's up against a two-time world champion who's been in F1 for a really long time. I don't care. Nobody cares. That's the issue. There are so many fans <laughs> of Aston Martin and there could be so much put your hands down Scott I'm talking I just think they could have so much more support if they had a sparky pair because unfortunately because Lance has had his time there isn't that support behind him there are very very few people other than the occasional Canadian who are excited to watch Lance Stroll race because he doesn't have that energy that pure racing spark to him that for example Fernando Alonso has and I know you can't compare Felipe Drogovic, for example, if he came in Aston Martin's development driver, you wouldn't be able to compare him fairly to Fernando Alonso. He'd need some time. But gosh, wouldn't it be exciting to have a young driver in that seat, a seat, like we've said, that has potential. So I will not hear of, oh, but it's been so hard for Lance up against Fernando Alonso. He's this racing great. But so Lance should be by now. He's had season after season to prove himself and he has not. And I think we all know the reason that he's in that car and it is not because of his ability. Tranquilo, Ranking, tranquilo. <laughs> Antonia, I, I totally agree with you. I wasn't saying Lance Stroll is a good driver. I was saying if they had a decent second driver, they would have been much better. I totally agree. He's had his time. He's yeah. only still in F1 because of Daddy Stroll. Um, so I agree with you there. We're on the same page. Then nod. Antonio, remember what we talked about before the show about how easily irked you might be? Uh, I'm going to get it in the neck <laughs> after the show for that one. Um, just to add some statistics to Let's do this, it. Nice. this argument is that Fernando Alonso scored three quarters of Aston Martin's points total uh, for the season. Um, that says everything in and of itself. Uh, in terms of the relative performance throughout the season of the car, 
if you'd have told that team last year that we're going to finish 10th in this race and we're going to consider that a bad result, they would have grabbed that with both hands because it's been such a leap um, forward. And when the car did fall away, that's when we did see some some odd performances between the drivers start to creep in because, oddly enough, Lance Stroll was kind of at his best when he'd just broken his hands and ankles or whatever he broke Wrists. a week yeah, a week before yeah. the season started. Um, oddly enough, that was his best time. And not just actually in terms of like the speed, his racecraft was, was better than um, as well, I'd argue. Um, the move he put on science on the first lap in Jeddah still actually sticks in my mind as genuinely one of the better moves of the uh, season. Uh, but that's a very rare moment for Lance. It happens once a season, maybe. And he had that. He got it in quite early. Um, and then you would see in the middle of the season when the car wasn't performing so well, sometimes Lance would be on Alonso's shoulders and other times he would be stuffing it in the wall and be miles off the pace. And what is very clear to the team now, or what should be very clear, whether they actually will act on this, is that they need an, a different second driver in that car to fully realize the potential of that team and of the car that they have. Because with a better second driver, they would have finished higher up in the Constructors' Championship. I don't think you can easily argue that point. I, I, you'd really struggle to argue that point, given how close they were with McLaren. Yes, McLaren had a very difficult start to the season, all right, but it's it's just it's, I think it's an inherent fact that they would have finished I, I, potentially even in the top three of the. Um, no, the they could have fin- they could have finished second if if Lance Stroll had matched the points of Fernando Alonso, they would have finished second. But he's got to finish behind him, even if he's matching him, he'll like finish behind him, and you know. Well, so I, I think well, no, do you know what, Chris? Ambitious. Do you know what, Chris? It's not preposterous that Lance Stroll might beat his teammate from from time to time. Like he's so far, yeah, he's so far off. Yeah, it is. But he's so he far got off. He that one time. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? And this is what happens. So he gets a few good results. And like every now and then when, you know, almost by, by statistical chance, a result will pop up. But like Logan Sargent and Latifi and all these other paid drivers, the second they get a, a, a somewhat decent result, like Sargent was getting praise for that point when he finished behind Albon. So basically, everyone was celebrating the least far away from his teammate he'd been all season. And the bar for that success is so much lower that that was treated like a victory. The, the bar for Stroll's success isn't consistently doing well. He's never, ever judged on consistently doing well. He's judged by that one qualifying or a sprint race where, where, where the result is OK. But it hasn't been spectacular. So you could point to earlier in his career and say, well, he nicked, he nicked a podium or two. That, that kind of thing hasn't been happening, has it? That's a podium car this season, and he hasn't been anywhere near it. So let's be completely honest. Lance Stroll is nowhere near a, a top-level driver. He's an out-and-out pay driver. So when you talk about his performance, it is purely in the context of his dad literally bought him an F1 team. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Chris made a great point that he performed best at the start of the year after his injury. And I think if you look at his performances throughout the year, his best performances have been when he's not under pressure. When he's not under pressure and he has very low expectations, he performs best. When the pressure is getting to him, when there was through the middle of the year, when he was crashing and there was a lot of media pressure on top of him, a lot of comparisons, rightly so, between him and Alonso, he was losing it. Um, losing his head, he was being very horrible. Oh, aggressive. His own, he's aggressive, yeah. being, being aggressive in interviews, being very short be, uh, with interviewers. Obviously, the incident with the tantrum in the, in the garage with his um, uh, coach, uh, performance coach. All of these happen because the pressure is building up on top of him. And then what we saw, in my opinion, was a concerted effort at the end of the, towards the end of the season to completely sway the public's opinion of him. There was a PR drive in regards to, or PR tactic to try and change the perception of Lance Stroll because he started getting all the upgrades before Fernando Alonso, which arguably when your dad owns a team is going to happen. He was still getting outperformed by Alonso, but then Alonso conveniently had to retire a few races in a row because of, engine and floor issues um, and he ended up sneaking into the points because of some dnfs and because of some disqualifications and stuff and then all of a sudden everyone's like look at this pr drive lance stroll's now scored in the points it's not how he scored those points uh but throughout the whole season and the same will be next year as well if he's put under any sort of pressure he will fold and some guys just have it or they don't yeah, you're right about that PR campaign. There was a concerted push to kind of let's save the tenability and the plausibility of Lance Stroll still being a Formula One driver. So he crashed at Singapore and, and a poor Mike Crack had to get wheeled out to say, well, that crash into the barrier, that just shows, that shows how committed he is. That shows how great he is. And yeah, so the PR around Lance Stroll is insane. But what would you expect from you know, the, the, the son of the team owner, Antonio? Wah, wah, the drivers are under pressure. Oh, does he not do very well under pressure? You're one of 20 in the world. Get used to it. Yep. You're, one, you're one of 20 in the whole world who get to drive these cars at this level. Yeah, you're under pressure. Get used to it and perform. He's been in the sport long enough now. I will not hear of, okay. oh, well, maybe we just need to put less pressure on him. He's not seven. Antonio will not, not have, not... will have no truck with it. 
He's not a 15-year-old about to sit his GCSEs, but he's got really pushy parents. He's a fully grown man in an incredibly demanding environment. So if the issue is that he's cracking under pressure, find a driver who doesn't. Chris, if we get that invite to uh, Aston Martin Hospitality, I'm going to let you be my plus one instead of Antonia. I think that's just it's just safer that way okay then yeah I, 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 but i will I, say for my career i really respect lance stroll as a driver i think he's human. had a great career leading up to this I no like one ever talks about his charity work you know why why aren't we focusing on that you know <laughs> chris well look just to twist the knife a little bit more i can't mm. wait for us to do that um 2023 without red bull uh right yeah looking that we that we talked about because i think that highlights even more how far off Fernando that Lance Stroll actually is. Yeah, no, no, it's it's definitely worse than it ended up looking statistically. But uh, without Red Bull in there, there is an argument to say that one of the championship trophies could have gone to uh, to Aston Martin. Oh, oh, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it. Okay. I don't, but, I don't but, want to spoil it. But they're up there. They're up there. Let's just say, even though... Even in in this scenario where there's no mm. Red Bull, right? That we that we've the hypothetical that we've started. Uh, even in that, Lance still does not pick up many podiums. Okay, so um, I think I I I I've spent enough time talking about the Lance Stroll situation. Let's talk about the the car itself from an engineering point of view. Why did they drop off so dramatically? Is there something inherent about the way they go about their off-season development which front-loads the performance to the the start of the season? Because although they had some flashes towards the end of the season, they weren't back to where they were. They didn't come back to be the clear second-fastest car. And with, with all the will in the world, they have been pinged for copying other car designs. So it's much, much easier to copy a car design at the start of the season than it is to copy one mid-season and, and have you copy someone's development. That's much harder. So is there an inherent issue where they're taking inspiration from other car designs, which I think is smart, but then that handicaps them in their development? I, th- I think there is a, a more of a balance, certainly what they're aiming for, because we have seen that team in the past when it was Force India and a bit more strapped for cash, that they brought in a completely new car halfway through the, the shit, like a B chassis. Um, B-spec chassis, mm. sorry, um, like midway through the, the season. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a, an attempt to, you know, front load and let's take full advantage of the, the good car at the beginning of the season. They want to keep a good car for the whole year if they can. But there, there are external factors. Um, and I think they have been helped a little bit by Mercedes and Ferrari dropping the ball. Because let's be honest, they yeah. have. Um, and so that probably plays into the narrative, particularly at the start of the season, and what, especially once Mercedes was, was sort of getting its act together a little bit in the second half of the season, that started to like fill up one of the slots that Aston could could fill. Um, and and the, the reason for the return of, of formal getting closer to that start of season form towards the end of the year was that they were taking parts off the car that they had put in throughout um, throughout the year. So so I think there is a bit of work to be done there. The fact that I think um, this year, or sorry, 2024 will be the first full year of their new uh, you know, the factory and the production and everything, which is 
quite a huge landmark for them that the fact that it opened midway through this season. Uh, so I I would expect a more consistent challenge from them next year. I think we saw a car this year come out the blocks that was a result of some great personnel um, hires by Aston Martin. There was um, a number of um, top-level engineers uh, that they poached from Red Bull and oh, I can't remember where else it was, um, who have been in F1 for quite amount, an amount of time. And of course, there's always a delay with the experience of those guys incorporating that onto a car because you've got the six-month gardening leave. And then, mm. of course, whenever they join, they're then working on the next year's car and so forth. And I think we saw that, and Chris is rightfully so, uh, that we saw them fighting so far up the grid because Ferrari and Mercedes dropped the ball compared to Red Bull um, this year. And then as a development game happened throughout the year, Mercedes and Ferrari started to get their act together and get quicker. McLaren, of course, included within that. And Aston Martin were, before the questionable technical directive, um, even before that, they were starting to slip back in slip back in performance. McLaren were consistently beating them or looking quicker than them. So were Ferrari, so were Mercedes. And then I think the technical directive, obviously that rumour, was it the flexi wing or floor? I can't remember which one it was. Rumour has floor. it, allegedly, yeah. allegedly being mm-hmm. the key word here, is that it was predominantly, while the rumours were, oh, it's at Red Bull, it's at Red Bull, it was allegedly directed predominantly at Aston Martin. So um, that, I think, really gave them a kick in the butt um, or a kick in the stomach, sorry. And they was losing in the performance and the development game anyway. And yeah, um, they maybe directed focus elsewhere for the rest of the season. So if, if that is true, that there was a technical directive aimed at them, you know, they're lucky then that it, it, it was later in the season. Because obviously if they weren't able to take advantage of that early on, or it had been found earlier in the season, you know, that would have taken some points away, but it is a phenomenal leap from from where they came. I think the previous season they came seventh, which is why I was so sceptical about them being the second biggest car. And you're right, they did go into the Mercedes and Ferrari gap, uh, if you like, Chris. But it's not a bad tactic from a midfield team to do what they've done. If you want to do something spectacular and something different with lesser resources or or lesser history or um, you've not had those years of recruitment to get up to a Mercedes level... You've got to, you know, put all your eggs in one particular basket. The sponsors certainly enjoyed knowing, you know, knowing the what life is like, what the air is like on the top of the mountain for a little while. So I, I don't blame them for that. The only downside is the expectation is now so high that if they don't turn up as the second best car or, or best car next season, everyone's going to be disappointed. But if they're consistently the fourth best car, for example and they maintain that through the season, that would be a kind of almost better season than what they did this year. Uh, Chris? That's the thing. That strategy is not sustainable, I think. Uh, what it what it has done is it's drummed up a lot of hype about the team. Yeah, which is so great. A lot of people... It is great in every way, shape or form because they, are, they were actually delivering mm-hmm. on track which is great for media attention it's great for sponsors it's great to get more interest yeah in the i team. know who cognizant are i don't know what they do yet but I've, I've heard that name a lot it's burned into my brain what i know is they are not like uh, an aston martin formula one car because they don't wear they don't helmets. wear helmet okay they need to change that <laughs> advert there's an advert where cognizant say 
uh, we're not like F1 drivers, we don't wear helmets. It's, a, it's, a, it's like That came out of an ad room at 1am. It's not a good ad, change it, but I definitely know who they are and I'll next I'll learn what they do. I'm going to do it now, in fact. Okay, you do that, Spanners. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, but yeah, so the point is you have to build on that, right? And that requires a change of strategy, I, th- I think, personally, anyway. Uh, so they, they need to make sure they stay there is, is the key thing now. Definitely. They need, they need to concentrate on consistency next year. But how they still had to beat Ferrari and beat Mercedes and get within that group, even if it was for a few races throughout the year. I mean, how long have we been talking about Alpine potentially challenging Ferrari and Mercedes next year or Red Bull and, and, and launching themselves back up to where they have been in the past under, obviously, the guise of Renault? They haven't. So Aston Martin, even if it was for half a year, that's a massive improvement for them. And I'm sure there'll be massive lessons learnt. And yes, next year, totally agree. If they're the full fastest car consistently, outbeating uh, outbeating McLaren and, of course, Alpine, who we always expect, once again, every year to, to improve yep. if they can create an engine that doesn't blow up every um, five laps. Oh, that's um, 2014 slander, Scott. That hasn't happened for <laughs> a decade. That hasn't been that the case. But yeah. How, how many DNFs did they have this year? Some. <laughs> I can't quite, quite a lot, didn't so, Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, good thing Matt's not on this podcast. Um, but he, yeah, they, 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 they still did it. Mm. So it's a positive from them compared to where they were last year. Next year, of course, consistency. But fair play to him, and I'm looking forward, even with Lance Stroll and their team, to hopefully um, making gains. So I've only got one last thing really on Aston Martin, but I will tell you that if I ever need help modernising my technology and imagining, reimagining my processes and transforming my experiences to stay ahead in a fast-changing world, then I, I'm going straight to Cognizant. That is what I will do. I still don't know what they do uh, as a company. It kind of sounds like Aston Martin should use their services. Yeah. Well, they're they're future-ready AI, just like everything else uh, on the internet at the moment. AI will solve everything. This is not sponsored. It's not, but I mean, again, I'm cheap. So, you know, just send me that gift basket and I'll be like, oh, (laughs) Cognizant AI, sick. And can Aston send us some Peronis as well? I don't, after what? Rankin's been saying on here, no, I don't think it's going to no, happen. No, not for her. Obviously. Oh, yeah, After yeah, yeah, yeah. Stroll slander. What, what did I do? Why don't I get Peronis? So, I mean, I could just run the podcast back if that's what you want me to do. I've got a replay button here. But uh, we will sack Rankin for money as well. So we'll just put that out there. We're completely... <laughs> what, what, I, what, 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 right. Hatreds in the Slack group, you better be jumping to... I can't see what you're saying right now because I've been logged yeah. out, but you better be jumping to my honour right now. All right. Yeah. I, we not not even that much money, by the way. Spanners, because me, me and Chris were actually talking about this. We were saying, we're just going to completely take over your a coup, show a coup. without you okay. and we'll do it better. So I, you'll I, get overthrown. Cognizant, if you're listening, babe, we're here. I was, I was not part of this. That very, yes, you're not young enough, Scott. Scott. Very wise, Scott. Right. You were there. You were complicit. Right. I, that's it, Chris. Now I'm on Spanner's side. Spanner's. Let's go. Internal Mist Apex War. Last point, right? And this isn't going to be popular. I am an Antonio, uh, an Antonio. I am a uh, Fernando Alonso supporter, generally. I get wound up by him. I think I look at uh, things he does, things he says, and I go, why am I a fan of Fernando Alonso? But I think I am. But everyone has been focusing on saying, look, he's, he's 48 and he's still really, really good. There is one inescapable truth, which is that 
He was up against Ocon last season, and you would expect to be faster than Ocon. Glad Matt's not here. But this season, he's up against Lance Stroll. We don't actually know how good Fernando Alonso is up against a, a top driver. So there could have been even more potential in that car. Alonso has not been tested up against a Hamilton or a, a Verstappen or a, a Kobayashi at this age. Okay? Shut up. Kobayashi, he won an IndyCar race, I think, or a NASCAR race. He's good. He's great. Uh, so, Scott, that would be my one caveat is he's looked really good. He's been really racy. He looked great against Perez at Interlagos. But we don't really know if he's at that top, 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 top level. Put him up against George Russell. That would be a good test. Does he go and rinse George Russell? Yeah, I, when you said against the top driver, before you said everything, I was thinking Perez, and then you said against a top driver, and I went, ah, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, that, that Perez moment was great, but Perez, <laughs> while in obviously arguably the dominant, most dominant car in history, is not a top, top driver yet. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I disagree somewhat because I think we saw at the start of the season him go against Hamilton, will to will, fairly, um, that was, of course, Lewis will say he wasn't exactly happy with the car, but he still went wheel to wheel with him, mm-hmm. uh, with Lewis kind of not necessarily giving no bars, uh, no bars hold. Was that the saying again? I'm butchering my, my sayings today. Um, but no, I, I, I think he's still got it. And I think there's been instances throughout this year as well, where you would arguably say the older you get, well, nature really, the, the older you get, the the slower your reactions are. And there's been plenty of instances this year where I think Fernando Alonso has shown that he hasn't lost any of that reaction time whatsoever. And I think give him a car that, yeah, can win races. Mm. Oh, I'd love to see a Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, yeah, George Russell, any of those young guns go up against Fernando because uh, the wiry old fox, I think, would beat them. Yeah, I think that... Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton at this age could still fight for a world championship. Uh, And again, a little teaser for the 2023 without Red Bull story there. But there is one thing that we haven't mentioned about Fernando Alonso so far this year. And it is that he was TikTok's public figure of the year, 2023. Yeah, when he was briefly supposedly dating Taylor Swift. No, 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 no. No, because this is some some absolute genius marketing from Aston. And Spanish, you know, I am a former slash slightly still current marketer. Yeah. Right? What what Aston has done with TikTok this year is just pure genius. It's a mwah, chef's kiss. Well, right? All right. We might look into and, that, Chris. And while you're that, looking into Aston Martin on TikTok, join uh, Mist Apex. How do you, do you see, do you join people on TikTok? No, you to follow follow, follow the, the, Mr. Yeah. Apex F1 on TikTok. We've been pretty regularly posting clips on there and they've proved reasonably, like they, not zero people have seen them. We're also doing the YouTube shorts. So go and search for Mr. Apex on those platforms. I know you've already seen the show, but if you like it, heart it and re-TikTok it, then that will help or make a comment, be like, oh, how handsome. Who's, who is this Spanners guy? Just anything like yes. that really, really helps. Do you know what? That's the most important thing. Comment. Leave a comment, even if it's just great video or just an emoji, right? Yeah. Or even just tell us how much you hate us because that no. helps us in the algorithm. Oh, don't do that. I'm not secure enough. Darn it. <laughs> Darn it, Chris. You know I'm not. Okay. 
We're moving on to Mercedes. But before you do, let's just do a, a round of, of quick plugs here. Of course, we'd love it if you'd support us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And if you're one of our patrons who's listening right now, can I just say thank you? Because normally we get a huge drop off of Patreon support in the winter and there's been hardly any dropping off. So I, I hope this doesn't serve as a reminder to people who are like, oh, yeah, thanks. I was going to drop off over winter. But so far, people are supporting us fantastically. So we are more than able to keep pushing out content. And I had the time yesterday, uh, on Friday, sorry, to have Joe Saywood come on and react to that whole FIA debacle. Um, so if you want to give us time to keep doing this kind of thing, it, money does equal time. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And uh, Scott, you have been incredibly impressive with your, your TikTok, where you, you, I mean, you've put me off ever doing the Super Formula series on iRacing. But the way you like dissect your racing experiences and crashes and like go through and at the end of the race, look at people's disasters, uh, just the way it's all been done in the vertical video, you, you've become a, a maestro of TikTok, Scott. Oh, thank you, Spanners. Mm. Uh, yeah, I do try. Uh, the shorts and TikTok, Instagram reels are kind of all one and the same to me, to be honest, uh, across all platforms. Yeah, I try and cut the highlights down, the funny moments. Unfortunately, there's a lot of crashes. I do a lot of sim <laughs> and the, racing. And you're so that's always why nearby. <laughs> the, the crashes get views. What mm. can I say? Um, lots of people do comment and go, all I ever see is this guy <laughs> crashing. Yeah. So, and I'm just like, oh, well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so they, they are the fun it's, bits. It's good fun. But no, I've thoroughly enjoyed the season as well on, on my YouTube channel, uh, where I've been doing the F1 watch-alongs as well, kind of true. my own opi- unfiltered opinions and alternative commentary that you would get, say, from Sky Sports. All right. Uh, so. Still waiting for my invite. Well, you went on another watch-along. Oh, I did, didn't I? So I went on Tomo's you, one. You're a traitor. But they've traitor. disbanded now, so there's room in my heart for the, for the stuffy watch-along. How can we find oh. your TikTok, Scott? Because they are, even if you're not into sim racing, they're, they're definitely worth checking out. Yeah, on all platforms, guys, uh, I am at Stuffy. At St- and you spell it weird. It's my last name. You tell it's telling me my last name's weird. Yep. Okay, cool. Moving okay. on, uh, we have another TikTok star uh, on a grand scale, actually. Your growth isn't stopping, Antonio Rankin. And your recent TikToks, you seem to have made a, a sway into a much sort of warmer tone. And you've, you're funny. Uh, they're fun videos. You sound so surprised. Yeah, yeah, no. Now that there's less tech to talk about, which yep. it turns out people don't really care too much about, which is kind of sad because yep. I love tech. But... Uh, uh, our tech time shows, I think they're some of the best produced shows with Matt and, and Summers, but they maybe get just over half the downloads of like a normal news show. It's crazy. Yeah, that's the thing. I wish people would get more into the tech. And if you guys are feeling a little bit tech phobic, give give it a go. Seriously, I feel like since I've understood more about F1 tech... It makes watching, blah, blah, blah. watching it makes watching the races so much more interesting and exciting. But yeah, no, I've started allowing people to actually know my personality, which has really changed things for me. But not too much more. Um, so it's been quite just, nice. Yeah, don't go all the way. Don't go. I would just, ah, yes. I would hold it yes. back. You know, just get twenty percent is probably enough. Uh, but go and follow Antonia uh, Antonia F one on TikTok. No, Anto- F one Antonia. F one Sorry, every and on time. Twitter Antonia J Rankin. I remember oh, yeah. that one. Follow Chris at Chris on Racing. Chris, you're not producing anything of note, but you are here sometimes. Well, I, uh, well, I am making social media clips every now and again. Not for That's you, not with your it. face on it, for others, for money. Yeah. You're a corporate yeah. shill and no more. 
I do commentate a cam. Ah, yes. Oh, yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. The social. Oh, so you're on the TikTok and the sh- the reels as well. So at, yes, at yes, Chris on exactly. racing everywhere. At Chris on racing on anything you want to follow me on. Follow my commentary journey. Uh, I'm in the off season. I'm desperately mm. trying to find work for next year. If you are a producer and you need a commentator, please <laughs> yeah. hire me. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Go. But uh, yeah, follow the commentary journey. Follow my weight loss journey. Follow <laughs> my journey towards enlightenment and becoming no, a better you've gone, person. you've gone too far. So follow Chris <laughs> on racing. He's also doing the TikToks. Not as good as the other two, but, but fine. Definitely not. Okay, Mercedes. Where I want to start with Mercedes is is we'll start on the the we'll start from the badness and go forward. So the the sticking to the zero pod concept was something of uh, just a disaster. And the thing with with this particular disaster is you could see it unfolding from testing. So even in the in the testing, you could see well you can't tell anything from the times, but clearly things weren't going well. No one was was looking happy. There was the odd day where I think they got through a run plan and that was celebrated. But more and more you were hearing kind of anger coming from Toto Wolf, And you had Mike Elliott being pushed to the front to kind of explain, well, it's not going very well now, but we know what direction we're going to go in and we can, we can definitely fix this. And it, obviously it wasn't fixed at all. Mike Elliott was treated respectfully in that he was kind of swapped roles and then when the media attention was away from that, he then eventually left the organisation. But I think it's very clear to me, Chris, that they, they really put their eggs in the, the zero pod concept. And then when it didn't work in 2022, they, they must have blamed it on not being able to get the ride height. But they, they, they really were sure 2023, and you've got to think driven by one person, 2023, we're going to nail it. And it was immediately obvious that they hadn't nailed it and everyone knew. So it's like every head in the Mercedes garage turned to one person and went, like, we told you so. And Lewis Hamilton all season has said, it's the concept, the concept sucks, can't wait till next season. So I think it feels clear what happened. Someone was like, I got this. You've got to keep the faith with me. I've got this, chief. You know, and, you know, they watched too many movies maybe, but it, it just <laughs> slapped them hard in the face. Like, I don't know how many people had their faith in that concept but the people who did had mega mega yes. faith in this concept to try and carry it over uh, for for this year the the fact that they did do a complete concept shift in the middle of the season uh, is indicative of the design's flaws which of course was an immense amount of drag and actually it wasn't producing the downforce numbers that they anticipated it to be because okay, uh, hang on. so so quickly then chris what was zero pod meant to do Zeropod was just a, a a solution to a problem that is all you know aerodynamics on an F1 car, but they just thought it was going to produce more downforce than a car with side pods. Generally, that, I'm sure there are better explanations about specifically how they would do this, but they thought it was going to produce them a a lot of downforce, and it didn't end up being the case. And it came with a massive drawback of being exceptionally draggy. Uh, so it, it it didn't work. And because we're in this cost cap era now where development funds are restricted, they can't just spend mm. their way out of... But, well, yes, I know, but it, it already didn't work in 2022. So it's yeah. I think it's the doubling down that will go down as a, a massive disaster in the end. Most definitely, I agree with that. And the, the fact as well that even though they've, they've had the concept shift, right, but they haven't been able to execute the full shift 
right? Until they get to this year's car. So they're, they're having to redesign a redesign and, and, and hopefully get it right third time round. Yeah, it's like they're remodeling clay that's already kind of dried out a little bit. You know, they've gone with a concept that didn't work and doubled down on it. And unsurprisingly, it has continued not to work. You know, it's a difficult one with Mercedes because like you said, Spanish, we've been watching it unfold slowly and it was never getting any better, was it? But it speaks again to this cost cap issue where if a team does want to change their whole car's concept, they have to work within such limited parameters in order to do so. And it's always going to be a kind of not as good half attempt compared to if they had the money and the ability to completely redo it. Yeah. So, yeah, so they they can't tear it up and and start again, Uh, but they were, they were all sort of, so desperate to try and salvage something from the season. So when you look at, right, they had a platform that was never going to get them the championship, yet they were still striving to improve and trying to use that car as a test bed for 2024. It shows to me a little bit that that team, finishing second in the championship, is still a good team. So somebody said to me, someone in the Slack group, sorry, I missed it, is this the same as the McLaren 2013 slide towards oblivion? I don't, I don't think so. It does seem like they just got one major thing wrong. So Chris, then Scott. Yeah, no, I, I do think they'll still be able to fight up towards the, the, the front of the field. I, mean, I think expecting a Red Bull challenge straight out of the blocks would be a little bit ambitious, but certainly closer uh, should be a realistic expectation. It's funny, they have been found out now in some other ways. I know we've talked about this over the last couple of years because since they haven't had... A, a, a proper a championship yeah. winning or even championship dominating car at times. There have been cracks in the armor that have been uh, revealed a, a little bit in terms of other aspects, um, but sure. the, way, the way they address it and then they're still going on to finish second in the championship is a, is a frankly a remarkable achievement. And I think it speaks volumes about not only the performance of the team, but also the drivers. Um, and I know that George has had, a difficult year to say the least. Um, and it's, it's odd because the, the performance swings between the two drivers seems to be bigger than any other on the grid. I would, I would almost say, and going into this year, we say George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, that's the best driver pairing on the grid. I don't know if we can still make that argument anymore because it always seems to be one of them is up there. It's, I can't think of too many times where you've seen both Mercedes right up towards the front of the field it's always been one or the other one of them struggling with something always which hasn't helped their case i think it's the mercedes issue is that well of course we know the issue was a zero pod concept but they acknowledged that after race one toto wolf went we've made a mistake we need to change concept like it was it was that early arguably they should have they should have got changed it before that uh testing or after testing but this year has pretty much been what I like to, it's a kit car. This Mercedes W14 is a kit car because this whole car was built from the ground up for the zero pod concept. And there was points in the season where they even explained that on their own YouTube channels and social media platforms, that the suspension, when they brought a new suspension, it's actually adjoining the car where it shouldn't do. Next year's car, it will be purpose built. And they've announced already that next year, that pretty much next year's car, every part, near enough every part is going to be brand new. Of course, that's probably just lip service. But 
I bet a fair chunk of it will be, and it will be purpose-built. Now, the fact of that, yes, they've still been able to be second in the season is, I think, a massive achievement for them. Of course, it's not where they want to be. It's not where George wants to be. It's not where Lewis wants to be. It's the second year in a row that Lewis has gone without a race win. And it's the first year since 2011 that Mercedes have gone without a win. So, of course, it's not where they want to be. But I think this whole year became a testing ground for them, just a whole season-long testing ground to see if, not necessarily the whole car, but to see if specific parts were doing what they were intended to do and gather data for the 2025 car. I just don't think P2 in the Constructors' Championship is an achievement this season. It's it's not even best of the rest. It's who can scrape together the most bang average performances consistently. You know, being P2 in the Constructors for Mercedes hasn't meant they've been P3 every weekend. It hasn't even meant that they've been P4 and 5 every weekend. They've been kind of scraping right. together a bunch of relatively okay performances that have averaged out better than the rest of the grid. Them being P2 in the championship is absolutely not something they should be celebrating. And to be honest, I'm glad they're not. It only came down to the wire at the last race because all of the other teams have had such inconsistent seasons that the fact that Mercedes were finally able to just about scrape a P2 was like, okay. I think there's, there's some fairness there. So for example, had McLaren come out with the their second concept first you know had they not gone awry mclaren would probably be the clear second as well yeah had aston martin not allegedly been found to have been doing something allegedly something different outside of the alleged regulations then they they could have been consistently second place so there is something to be said that this year in particular no team has kind of driven forward and claimed that second place so mercedes have almost kind of defaulted it so it, it could have looked a lot worse. I'm just trying to look to the team and go, right, okay, if forgiving them for the concept, if you like, they still seem to have developed well. Um, but operationally, things like deliberately doing slower pit stops, like, like we always complained about the slow pit stops, and Toto Wolf said, yeah, 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 that's kind of that's where, what we've, we, we, we'd rather do consistent pit stops than go for the very fast pit stops. I think that was quite a surprise. But as Chris said, that is a symptom of having margin, you know, up front. So in 2014, 2015, 2016, a three-second stop was not going to hurt them. Whereas now, obviously, you know, now they're losing positions. If they're in a fight, Hamilton can't rely on staying ahead or avoiding an undercut or getting an undercut from those pit stops. Yeah, Red Bull have raised the bar. They've just totally raised the bar because I don't think Mercedes in any year they was dominant were as faultless with their pit stops, with their strategy, the the operational side of things, as Red Bull have been this year and arguably last year as well. And Mercedes need to look at what Red Bull have been able to achieve, especially with them fighting for Ferrari and Aston Martin this year in some close podium battles. That if they had the ruthlessness and of Red Bull with how quick they are with their strategy and with and with their um, pit stops, then they would have comfortably have achieved a lot more podiums and a lot more, uh, probably potentially mm. a couple of race wins, as well, especially Cota. Circuit in Americas is the one that comes to mind where Lewis could have and should have won that race because of some slow pit stops and arguably stra- uh, dilly-dallying on strategy. So there's they need to improve all round. 
uh, in my opinion, Mercedes. But then on the other end of that scale, you have um, Singapore, right, where they were getting really punchy with the strategy, which is something that Mercedes traditionally kind of hasn't hasn't mm. been. It's 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 been a, a kind of criticism that safety car comes out and they go, we'd rather have track position than new tires because you can't possibly overtake in Formula One. It's impossible. Uh, and then they are proven wrong almost every single time, right? Um, so, so to see in Singapore, them actually sacrifice track position and say, right, we spy an opportunity for the win here. We're going to go for it 100%, uh, which was really refreshing. And I want to see more of that, uh, especially if we're in tight battles, you know, for, for the win, because what we ended up getting was the biggest crescendo to a Grand Prix that we had all season long. But that's once in a blue moon that they have that attitude. And secondly, how ruthless could they have been? If that was Red Bull in that situation, Lewis was arguably the quicker he driver and stuck yeah. behind Lewis, stuck behind Russell for quite some time. If they truly wanted to go for that race win, they should have taken the ruthless decision to let George oh, Russell hang on. Uh, sorry, how let George think? Russell give up that position to right. Lewis. It looks like Chris is and I think disagree. And, sorry, and I think I think if Red Bull were in that position and it was Sergio and Max, they would have swapped positions. Okay, but there's a clear number one and number two at Red Bull, whereas there isn't at Mercedes. And in Mercedes' defense, George was faster than Lewis right up until the entire weekend, right up until about three laps to go when Lewis suddenly actually had pace over George. So if he wanted that position, he shouldn't have saved that pace. Okay, so which leads us, which actually... He wasn't. It's not saving pace, right? I don't think there's a fundamental difference where Lewis Hamilton is spectacularly faster than George Russell over one lap, right? He's spectacularly faster than George Russell over a stint where stint management and tyre management is required. So at the point of the race where in order to go forward and to do well, you needed to manage your tyres and manage that stint, Lewis Hamilton was able to do that and George Russell was unable to do that. And then we saw, we really saw that exposed at Interlagos, which was a horrible weekend for Mercedes anyway. But George Russell was insisting that he should be let through. He should be given the track position. And he ended up basically overheating his car completely and overheating his tyres. Whereas Lewis Hamilton didn't have those issues because he was managing, you know, he was managing temps. So I mean, it's, this is the thing where we said George Russell is fast enough. But then when it comes to, you know, a stint strategy like that, he then suddenly finds himself in the way. So at the beginning of a stint, he's pushing, he's pushing, he's pushing. Look, I'm so much faster than towards the end of the stint. Oh, are we working together? Why would I? Why is he? Why is he attacking me? Why is he pushing through? So I don't know. They've got a really complicated dynamic there, Scott. And they they probably should have a number one driver. Yeah, and there was a couple of times this year where Russell was actually asked to let Lewis by because Lewis was quite clearly showing that his strategy was working. And the amount of times I lost count the amount of times this year that George asked for the alternative strategy to try and yeah mostly get one up over Lewis, which I get the first person you want to be is your teammate. And I am a fan of George, but I think Lewis this year quite evidently showed quite early on that he was more in control of that car, more in control of the performances and had it especially over a race distance. Now, George, I think focused maybe a little bit more on qualifying to try and get track position and try and get that priority when it came to pit stops and getting in before Hamilton. But a lot of the times this mm. year, Lewis got ahead of George into the first corner and then got priority anyway. 
Um, so I think Lewis this year definitely realised. I'm. I think he actually realised. I'm better than George over a race distance, mm. and I don't need to focus so much on qualifying. Oh, yeah. Although I think it backfired. Yeah, it's gone the other way. Because there's, there's a couple of times this year where he didn't even get through to Q3, and he probably focused too much on the race than qualifying. He lost that balance, but what you would say the majority of times he mm. had he probably had that attitude, and it did pay off for him because he was comfortably P2 in the championship. Uh, sorry, P3. In the championship, so it's not something uh, George. I've tracked in. Yeah, well, yeah, George Russell was P eight. It's not something I've tracked as much, I guess, on other teams because yes, I'm a Hamilton fan, so I've been looking at this. But um, they've run different downforce settings quite a lot this year. So yeah, I think it's, it's clear that Hamilton for a long time has prioritised race pace, but he hasn't been able to deliver it at all in qualifying. And now whether that is down to his ability or overestimating how how much of a sacrifice he's going to have to make or un, sorry underestimating how much it's going to affect him in qualifying plus there's there's quite a few teams who qualify out of position so ferrari qualify out of position they seem much better on a saturday M- mclaren to a, a lesser extent are, are much better on a saturday and if tire wear is an issue mclaren have been suffering so that's great because as matt was saying last sunday Qualifying sort of hasn't mattered in that the pack tends to unshuffle itself and the teammates end up together. But where that's fouled Lewis Hamilton is then he's been in the pack and he's been getting into these little scrapes. How much carbon fibre has Lewis Hamilton lost on opening laps this season? I think Abu Dhabi hit Gasly twice, you know, amongst other things. So didn't he hit then Gasly later on in the race as well? So I think like he maybe hit an Alpine four times in that last race. So it's, that strategy has backfired. Will it do him a favour if they have a front-running car? Will it then do him a favour to prioritise qualifying then? See, this is the thing. It, this is a strategy that would have worked two or three years ago. Against Rosberg, 2015. Again, well, not even, not even just them. When we had like a top two teams or even a top three teams, and like the worst you would qualify is sixth, right? That's, that's the worst-case scenario. Um, and and usually then Mercedes had a quick enough car to still be at the yeah. worst on the front two rows. That doesn't work in the Formula One we have at the moment, where we have a top five teams, for example, um, and you you still get them mishmashing. It's it's way too close. I know we we're saying Red Bull have been miles ahead of the field, but between the other nine teams, it's been far too close to try and run that strategy. And what ends up happening is exactly what you said, Spanners, where he gets put into the pack and he can't utilize the strategy yes. he's trying to make yeah. because he's a got to try and work his way through the field and he's running in dirty air for the entire first stint. So we can't utilize his own advantage. And by putting yourself further back in the pack as well, you put yourself on the you run the risk and it did happen a few times a season where you're on the wrong end of a safety car or the wrong end of a red flag and you come in and pit to try and do the undercut or to get into some clean air and then red flag comes out and everyone's able to change their tires and your advantage of that undercut has just disappeared that happened i think a few times this year and that's the risk you run so i think that i think that balance he got it right lewis uh, a number of times this year but then there was a handful of times, specifically at the, at the latter end of the season, I think Vegas and Abu Dhabi, he failed to make it out of Q2. So it's the mm-hmm. last two races, last two races of the year, starting 11th, like you, you just run the risk of getting caught in trouble. The 
the probability, the percentage of probability of you getting caught in an incident, the more cars are around you, dramatically rises. Okay, so everyone has made the assumption that Red Bull are uncatchable because they've looked so far ahead of the pack. I'm not as pessimistic. So if Mercedes haven't made a fundamental error and then tripled down on it, like they have the last two seasons, I, I personally don't see any reason why the W15 can't come out and be competitive and go and race Red Bull. I think a little bit much has been made of this kind of elevated godlike status of the, the Red Bull car, as if it's you know completely uncatchable. But in 2021, we sort of forget that really there was only two uh, cars winning races, apart from, I've just looked it up to check how accurate that was, uh, Ricardo got the win at Monza, and Hungary were after the Bottas Skittles, Ocon won for Alpine. But, but really, it was those two teams head and shoulders above the rest. So if you look at this season, uh, and, and, and Mercedes had, had joined Red Bull with that level of performance, it would have looked normal. It would look, have looked like a normal F1 season with two teams dominating. It wouldn't have been odd. You wouldn't have gone, oh, how f- why are these two teams so m- incredibly far ahead? So I think a lot of Red Bull's absolute dominance has been that Mercedes, who have been at the top of the sport for so long, weren't there to challenge them. So I, I don't know. If, if they turn up in Australia, in Bahrain, with a competitive package that can go toe-to-toe with Red Bull, I don't think anyone should be completely flabbergasted. It would be almost a reversion to the mean. So the Mercedes average position is, is at the top. So unless this is a 2013 Mercedes uh, McLaren-style slide, I'm actually pretty optimistic for some competition next season am i a fool am i an optimistic fool am i a sweet summer child probably however i do think it's not just fans who've made the mistake of assuming that red bull are undefeatable it's the teams we've said it at a few of our race reviews over the course of the season but a lot of the reason why some of the races have been unfortunately this season quite boring on surface level at least is because the drivers have realized max verstappen is behind them and gone that's not my problem. My race isn't with him. And they basically let him through with very little fight. And that's why we've seen so many races where Max has started lower down the grid and just by lap six, he's back up in P3 because the drivers and the teams just go, don't waste your tires. Don't waste heating up your car too much. Let him by. They assume that their battle isn't with Red Bull. And Red Bull, even within the paddock, have created this whole air of being untouchable and undefeatable that we almost need the new season to come in where drivers and teams can go, we've got a shot at this because they've lost faith in themselves. So Maria's putting a downer on it, and that's good. I was looking for someone to kind of oppose it a little bit, uh, saying that have Mercedes lost two years of development? Well, actually, my, my sort of theory is they've, they've had to sharpen their development skills because they've been, they've been desperately scrambling around. I suppose if they wanted some hope with Red Bull, they would hope that Red Bull are making the same mistake everyone else is, which is also assuming that they are going to be dominant. And that I'm sure they're not going to be complacent, but they probably think, you know, well, we've made an improvement from this car for the 2024 car. That's probably going to be enough. And you don't know if it is until you get to pre-season testing. And, you know, you get a scenario where you had Braun. Oh, I've not seen the new Braun documentary yet. Oh, it's very good. Is it good? Very good. Oh, it's it's terribly good. Is it terribly good? Oh, is it? Okay. So, uh, but I remember, you know, the stories, you know, before this documentary were when they went out in testing, they did one incredible run where they suddenly realized how good a car that they had. 
and they were like, bring it in, bring it in, because we don't want anyone to know. So I don't know. So I think I think 2024, it's a whole new season. Uh, let's not be pessimistic until there's something to be pessimistic about. In other words, let's all relax into some blind, blind hope that there can be a competitive 2024 for Formula One. All right, so lay it on the line then. Uh, we all have a, a fan stake in this fight. Can Can George Russell come back next season and stake a claim at Mercedes as the number one driver. I feel like reputation-wise and career-wise, it's a real make-or-break season for George Russell because he looked like the number two driver this season. PR-wise, he hasn't really come across that well on team radio and some of the stuff on track. So is there a way back for him to stamp dominance in Mercedes? Stuffy? No. Oh. Uh, um, Chris? I... <laughs> <laughs> Go, Chris. Okay, right. Well, the thing is, maybe, Scott, you were going to make this same point, but I think the issue is that for Mercedes, of all teams, to declare a number one driver, you would have to be, like, two seconds a lap faster than them. I think that's more the conceptual issue here. It's just that it's not in Mercedes' nature. Well, they never admitted it with Bottas, and Bottas was clearly the number two in all but... But that was that was usually um, a ended up prioritizing the driver who was leading the championship. But then you know, there there were occasions where Bottas was allowed to have the um, you know have, have his moment. Um, that even, makes it even, sound. But even when Lewis was fighting for the championship with Seb, do you remember in Hungary when uh, he, he Bottas led him through, let him try and have a go at the Ferraris, couldn't do it, so he let Valtteri back back through. Yeah, maybe that was more of a Lewis decision than a, a team decision. But uh, you know, I, I think George has got a, the potential to start matching uh, Lewis. We've seen he has been able to beat him on on occasion this year. I think with a better car, it will reduce those big sways in performance that I was alluding to earlier. I don't know what stuff he's chatting. I don't know Uh-oh. what he's talking oh, about. Hang on. I 100% think George Russell can come in and have an absolute screamer of a season. He's a great driver. He's got it in him. I think it's so difficult to know the true potential of a driver when the car isn't there. Like we were saying with with Haas, you know, the car isn't there. You can't blame the drivers for that. With Fernando Alonso, the car hasn't really been there. I really, really think that George Russell has so much potential and he's realised a lot of his potential, how he maximised that Williams, how he can turn around a pretty shocking day and still get a good result. If you guys remember one of his, if not his first ever run in the Mercedes in Bahrain, where it was like, Yeah, he got like three punctures and it was only by the final one that he actually (laughs) slipped down the order. He has such a fighting mindset. And I think as a driver in a team that isn't at the top at the moment, that is the exact mentality you need to be able to come in after a horrible season and still perform exceptionally. So I think if anyone can do it, it will be George. I don't think those gulfs between his performance and Lewis's, to be honest, are as bad as everyone's making Ooh, out. I don't know. I think they are. I think they are. I think. I think he's quite far off. Scott, you know what? There look, is look. there is a there is an argument for this though, and it's because again, how close the field is. Let's say last year or the year before that, you were two tenths off your teammate. That mm. could be one place or two places. Certainly this year, if you're two tenths off, that's 
five or six places at some races. I, I actually think Russell's really up against it because Toto Wolff wants Lewis Hamilton to win the eighth championship. They're going to, I think there's going to be so few excuses needed for them to favour Lewis Hamilton next season. Tell you what, Stuffy, if Carlos Sainz decides to leave F1 to go and be a hair model and next season and he gets off with the Ferrari 2024 driver, if I'm George Russell's manager, I say, yeah, go, go, because you've got a better chance of looking good against Leclerc than you have against Hamilton. The worst thing for George Russell was 2021, Lewis mm. not winning the yeah. eighth world title because he would be the number one driver at Mercedes right now. I was fortunate enough to have a tour of the Mercedes factory oh, well, back oh. in April. I know, just dropping that in. Mm. But I spoke to a number of the Mercedes employees there and the whole vibe around there is they want to get Lewis that eighth really? world title. They, they, they so love him there. He's been there for over 10 years now. He's got seven world titles, six of them with Mercedes. Like that's his team. And it would take, yes, George could become the number one driver if Hamilton was unlucky enough to have some DNFs and he was out of the championship fight and it was between George and another. That's the only scenario where George would become the number one. I think unconscious bias or actually probably conscious bias, even though they won't admit it, Lewis is still that number one driver, but they will give the, uh, they will give the image to the outsider that George and Lewis are treated fairly. And they probably possibly do at the start of a season. But I think once Lewis gets that eighth, he would be out of the, the he would be out of F1 George probably won the best thing to George is probably to get Lewis to win that eighth title. Yeah, so, so he, he can, can take go. it. And then he's the number one driver because whoever comes in is George is then the experienced one there. So it's it's all about, uh, you know, the twisting the narrative, isn't it? So, for example, the British media, if there's a Scottish athlete or sportsman and they're, they're winning, they're British. But when they're not winning, they're Scottish. So you can just just a little tweak there and that changes the narrative. So I think if Russell is ahead in the championship early on, they'll say, oh, there's no team orders. We we don't have, we favour both drivers here. If Hamilton is ahead by, you know, a third of the way into the season, they go, well, look, we've really got a chance here at the drivers' championship. We, we just have to prioritise Lewis Hamilton right now. And, and I think you're right, Scott. I think the Mercedes mindset is is going to be geared towards Lewis Hamilton, which is why I say if Russell gets a chance at a Ferrari seat, you go take it. All right, cool. That's been, I know we are just right pushing that one hour limit but we did manage to get through three teams so we will finish off with a, another race review next sunday and then we'll dig into our winter content where all these lovely people are gonna grace your youtubes and your podcasts with a specialist subject and then i'm going to talk to them about their lives so you can get to meet my wonderful panel so follow all these guys the links are in the show notes below and uh, it is scott is at stuffy which is S-T-U-F-F-E-Y-Y. Yeah, double Y at the end. There we go. Antonia is at F1 Antonia on TikTok and Antonia J Rankin on Twitter. And Chris is at Chris on Racing everywhere. Obviously, follow me. I'm the best one. So uh, at Spanners Ready on Twitter and then Richard Ready on Facebook, Spanners Ready on Instagram. And please check out our TikToks and re-TikTok them and do an uh, emoji and say hello I think you're nice. Good luck with your TikToks. Uh, until we see you next, next Sunday, unless there's another emergency drop-in broadcast, 
Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Going through the winter. Oh, yeah, we've got our warm jackets on. Always wear a scarf. Always make sure that you take your coat off when you go inside, or you won't feel the benefit. You won't feel the benefit unless you take your coat off. It's just life advice. It's dropping life. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.